My message this morning is simply entitled, Four Days Late, Right on Time. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus was four days late, but he was right on time. In John chapter 11, John, the beloved disciple, gives an eyewitness account of a powerful miracle of resurrection. You see, we serve a powerful Savior. I love his words in Matthew 28, 16 through 18. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. When Jesus comes on the scene, things change. He interrupted funerals. He healed sick bodies. He opened blinded eyes. He restored hearing to the deaf. He restored speech to the mute. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out devils. I've come by this morning to simply tell you that we serve a powerful Savior. But he's more than just a historical figure. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. He's all-powerful. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And then I love verse 15 in Colossians 2, verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. There's nothing too hard for God. There's no grave that can resist his words. There's no problem too big for his grace and power. And I've come by this morning with a promise of resurrection. In this new year that we've entered into, we've titled it the year of the open door. God is going to open the door of the grave. Some of you have been trapped. You've been trapped in a cycle of conflict. Trapped in a cycle of circumstances. But I have an encouraging word for you today. You have been around this mountain long enough. It's time to move from this mountain. It's time to break out of the cycle. And I have a word of resurrection to you that are bound in this cycle of conflict. In this cycle of never ending. Just going around in circles. God has come to break you out. So my prayer this morning is, Father, break them out of the cycle of conflict and bring them into your promise over their lives. In John chapter 10, there's an interesting story about five kings. These five kings engaged Joshua with their armies in battle. And as Israel began to prevail in battle, these five kings fled and hid themselves in a cave. Let's pick up the story in Joshua chapter 10, verse 16 through 19. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makeda. 
And it was told Joshua, saying, These five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guards. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hands. At the end of the battle, Joshua commanded the stones to be moved, and he brought the five kings out. Let's look at it in Joshua chapter 10, verse 22 through 27. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave, bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so, and brought out those five kings to him from the cave. And the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hedron, the king of Jarmoth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out these five kings that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the neck of these kings. And they drew near, and they put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterwards Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees and cast them into the cave where they had been hidden. And laid large stone against the cave's mouth which remain until this very day. Five kings, why five? Five's the number of grace. Why did he hang them on a tree? The Bible says, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. He was trying to show us that there is a curse of sin and these five kings that are in the cave represent strongholds, represent the things the enemy will do, represents hidden things in our life that the Lord wants to bring forth and heal us of and deliver us from. And he took and he cut them off their heads. He killed them and he hung them on a tree. And five, come on. And he said, this is what the Lord will do to your enemies that oppose you. He said, the power of grace will redeem you. The power of grace will set you free. The power of grace will resurrect you. But I didn't come just to talk about five kings in a cave. I've come by to tell you that those that are in the cave that have died are going to come forth out of the cave in this day just like Lazarus did. They represent the enemies that have trapped you in the cave. Things that have held you in bondage. Giants that you face. See, God is about to open a door of deliverance for you. But he's going to seal those things that have opposed you in the cave. See, there's resurrection life in the place of death. And in John 11, Jesus was four days late, but he was right on time. Only Jesus can be four days late, but right on time. I've come by to tell somebody he's an on-time God. He's an on-time God. He'll make you wait till one minute to midnight. He'll scare you to death, but he'll come through just in the nick of time. He's an on-time God. He may be late according to my calendar, but he's on time according to his calendar. So let's look at it. There's a dilemma in John chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary that anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Lazarus of Bethany is sick. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were close to Jesus. He stayed in their home. He spent time with his family. They had a dilemma. Lazarus is sick. Now, this threatened their livelihood. He's the breadwinner of the family. Everything's about to change in their house. And listen to the message they sent to Jesus in verse 3. Therefore, 
the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now I want you to notice what they were doing. They were drawing on their relationship with Jesus. That's what we do when we claim our covenantal promises. We draw on our relationship with Jesus. See, it is out of our relationship with Jesus that we have authority over the enemy. We can't have authority by just being religious. We can't have authority within ourselves. But we have to draw out of our relationship with him. The one whom you love is sick. That tells me that God is moved with compassion when he sees the things that affect us, when he sees the things the enemy brings against us. Sometimes we think God's off in heaven, that he's ignoring our pleas, that he's four days late. I've come to tell you, you may think he's four days late, but he's right on time. Verse 1 says, a certain man named Lazarus. The name Lazarus means God is my help. I want you to notice the contradiction. He's the one needing help. God is my help. There'll be many contradictions in your walk of faith. Your circumstances will not always match your prophetic destiny. Your circumstances will not always match your promises. Your circumstances will not always match up to what you're claiming and what you're believing for. And the enemy will come with scorn. The enemy will come and he'll try to put a reproach on you. I'm preaching good and can't get a bit of help in here. I'll tell you, but I've come by to tell you, it may look like in the midst of those contradictions that Jesus has not come on the scene. But he's coming. Just hold on a little bit longer. Just hold on another day. He's coming. He may be four days late on our calendar but he's right on time. Contradictions are opportunities for God's miraculous intervention into our circumstances. I may not know or understand what you're facing today, but I have good news. God is your help. One of my favorite verses is Psalms 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The God we serve is a very present help in your time of trouble. Hallelujah. You may think he's four days late, but he's right on time. Verse 3, the one you love is sick. This is more than just a minor sickness. One source I read says that he was weakening or sinking fast. This was personal. Jesus was close to this family. Bethany was located about two miles from Jerusalem on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. Jesus spent time in their home during the week of his crucifixion with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. What is the dilemma? The dilemma is Lazarus is dying. His condition is fatal. We may not be dying today. Our condition may not be fatal today. What is our dilemma today? How do we respond to devastating news today? We do the same thing that these two sisters did in John eleven three. Therefore the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. What do we do? We call on our Savior. There's a dilemma. And the dilemma is that he is sick. The dilemma is that he's sick unto death and he's dying. He's sinking fast. He's weak. The second thing is there's a divine delay. I want to say this. All delays are not of the devil. We rebuking the devil and binding the devil and praying against the delay. And all the time it was a divine setup. Pastor, do you believe in rebuking the devil? Absolutely. Do you believe in using your faith to acquire the promises of God? Absolutely. But listen, the timing is up to God. And sometimes God will bring a divine delay. John eleven four. And when Jesus heard that he heard that he was heard that he said, "The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it." I want you to notice something. Jesus is not panicked. 
He's not on the phone with American Airlines trying to negotiate a ticket back to Bethany. He's not on the phone getting an Uber or a Lyft. He's not a bit panicked. Verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Jesus, the one you love is sick. Change your plans. Get back here. That's the urgency of that message. And the Bible said Jesus stayed two more days. That's just like God. But here's what he said. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Now, wait a minute. As we read down, we find out he died. There's another contradiction. The thing that you're believing for may have died, but God is saying this sickness is not unto death, but for my glory. Because, see, he alone has the power of resurrection. Mm. Hallelujah. There's no hurry. There's no change of plans. Heaven's not in a state of panic. There's no security council meeting in heaven. Heaven's not scrambling around to come up with plan B. This was a divine delay. One, one, one source said Jesus' delay of two days underscores what he taught consistently, namely that his marching orders came exclusively from his father. Neither the need of his closest friends nor the fury of his enemies determined his actions. As I was preparing this message, the Lord really spoke to me about your delay. You have waited. You have believed. You felt like the enemy has delayed what you believe was promised to you. But this has been a divine delay. God is using it to work things out for your good. He's been doing a work inside you. He's been stretching your faith. You are growing in your walk with God. He is enlarging your capacity to receive. He's doing a powerful work because where he is taking you is going to require great faith. And as I was preparing, I just kept hearing, it will be worth the wait. It will be worth the wait. The Lord says you might have waited and waited and been delayed and felt like the enemy had delayed you and felt like you even missed your moment. But God was doing a work on the inside of you to prepare you because the place he's taking you is going to require great faith. It's going to require great patience. And God has been teaching you through this ordeal. He's been training you through this ordeal to get you ready for what he's about to come. And when the breakthrough comes, it's going to be worth the wait. Hallelujah. How did Jesus answer their devastating news? John eleven four. 4. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Then in verse 7, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. I don't know where you are today. I don't know exactly what you're facing. But here's what I do know. Jesus is moving towards you. Delay is coming to a close. He is on his way to answer your call. See, you can't get to the next assignment until God fulfills and trains you in this assignment to inherit that assignment. We want to just skip around. We just want to move past the process. But God uses the process to prepare us. And if we short-circuit the process of God in our life and go ahead of him, we, number one, will get ahead of him. Number two, if we're not careful what's meant to bless us, we'll rise up and become a serpent to us. I love this. Jesus is not panicked. Heaven's not calling a crisis meeting with the angels this morning. The Father's saying, that didn't go according to plan. What are we going to do? Nothing happens in your life that catches God off guard. It catches us off guard, but don't catch God off guard. Matter of fact, everything that happens in your life, even the attacks of the enemy that come, are filtered through the Father. Go back and read the book of Job. 
The Lord said to Satan, where you been? Like he didn't know. He said, going to and fro in the earth. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? Now, if I'd have been Job, I'd, Job, I'd have said, Lord, let's talk about this. He said, yeah, I've considered him, but you got a hedge around him. It wasn't until God released the hedge a little bit. And then when Satan attacked him, he could only do what God gave him permission to do. See, we ascribe all this power to the devil. I've come by to tell you that his power is microscopic compared to the power of God. If you knew how, how impotent that demons really were in the name of the Lord, you could just take, the, you just take authority over them in the name of Jesus. They have to flee. The God we serve is all powerful today. There's divine delays. But then notice thirdly, there's a divine dialogue. John eleven fourteen, Jesus has a debate. When Jesus says, we got to turn and go to Judea, his disciples says, well, if you go back there, they'll kill you. In other words, there's a price on your head. But again, Jesus wasn't moved by what his friends did or what his enemies did. He was moved by what the Father said. Folks, we got to be led by the Spirit. We can't be moved by the opinions of men. We can't be moved by what people do or people say or what the enemy does. we got to be moved by the wind of the Spirit. And he has this, and finally he says to him, he says, Lazarus is asleep. Well, they think Lazarus is still alive. And he looks at him in verse 14 and says, Lazarus is dead. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you say earlier to us, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God? And now you're telling us that Lazarus has died? Lazarus dies before Jesus gets to Bethany. But here again, I don't hear any panic in his voice. It's told of Smith Wigglesworth that God told him to go to a certain place and pray for a man. And he went and he knocked on the door of this house. And when the lady answered, he said, I'm here to pray for this man. She said, oh, I'm sorry, he's already dead. Now, most of us would have said, I'm so sorry. I'm available for the funeral if you need me. And we would have left. But Smith Wigglesworth said, where is he? And he went in there and prayed for him and he was resurrected from the dead. I know there are about 14 to 16 documented cases where Smith Wigglesworth raised the dead. The God we serve is a God of precision and order. Listen, we don't serve a haphazard God. He's not scrambling around trying to find his keys. He sets the world in its orbit. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In Jeremiah 31.35, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the seas and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. In John 11.17, So Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb for four days days and it may seem that he's four days late but this is not the end of the story i've come by to tell you it may seem that god is late but this is not the end of the story martha gets word that he was coming and goes to meet him listen to the dialogue in john eleven twenty one. now martha said to jesus lord if you had been here my brother would not have died i want you to see the conversation because this conversation continues through this whole story. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many times have we been to God and said, God, if you would have moved this way, or if you would have placed me here, or you would have done this, things would be different in my life. Now, there are times when we miss it. God's big enough to take care of our mistakes. God's not up in heaven with a button saying they missed it. He's not the fast gun riding at high noon just waiting on us to mess up. Now, that's the way it was preached when I was a little boy. You thought if you messed up, you know, the Holy Ghost was going to come get you. 
Well, the way he's going to come get you is with conviction because he loves you too much to let go of you. See, some of you have been prodigals. You've been away from him. But God's been drawing you back because you're his child and he loves you. And if I miss it, he can handle my mistake. God can redeem our mistakes. Hallelujah. If that wasn't the case, we'd all be in a mess. God's a big God. He's sovereign. He can handle it. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we think we missed it when we didn't. But our circumstances don't line up with our expectations. We know what we believe God has promised us. But our circumstances don't line up with the testimony of what we believe God is going to do. So the enemy comes and brings condemnation. And we get under condemnation. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. We did what we were supposed to do. We love you. We're in relationship with you. You've been in our home. We've taken care of you. We've given money to your ministry. We've been faithful, Lord. And when we sent for you, you didn't come. You were four days late. And if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Condemnation. You miss God. That's why you're having the trouble you're having. You're in the wrong place. That's the enemy. Listen to me. Listen to this preacher. The Holy Spirit never condemns. Sin condemns. The enemy condemns. So you got scripture to prove that's not in my notes, but Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts. Listen to what Jesus said. See, Lazarus is dead. He'd been in the grave for four days. They're mourners at the house. The church has served the meal to the family. They're making plans to probate the will and get all the estate business started. You'll think Jesus was four days late when you do that. Amen. But listen to what Jesus says in John eleven twenty three. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, she said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But listen to how he answers in verse 25. I am. I am. Not I will be. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. What is it that has died in your life? What is it in your life and family that needs resurrection? Jesus answers our dilemma. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Pastor, my children are lost. I am the resurrection and the life. Pastor, my husband is lost. The more I pray, the more difficult he becomes. Or my wife is lost. And the more I pray, the more difficult she becomes. My grandchildren are lost. I am the resurrection and the life. My job is running out. In 30 days, I'll be unemployed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I am the resurrection and the life. My marriage is coming to an end. My marriage is over. I am the resurrection and the life. My reputation's been ruined. I've been talked about and lied on. I am the resurrection and the life. Sickness and disease have come against us. I am the resurrection and the life. God wants to have a divine dialogue with you. And his answer to your dilemma will be, I am the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. My fourth point is this. There's a divine deliverance. There's a dilemma. There's a divine delay. Four days late. There's a dialogue. But then there's a deliverance. In John eleven thirty two, 32, Mary came where Jesus was and saw him. And she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here. See, we don't serve the God of the past. My brother would not have died. This tells me that they'd had a discussion. Where's Jesus? Somebody go up and look for him at the end of the street. We've sent for him. The one whom you love is sick. 
we know he'll come. But Jesus didn't come when they thought he'd come. What is it the song says? He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He don't always come and deliver us out of the fire. Sometimes he comes in the midst of the fire and delivers us in the fire. He don't always come and deliver us out of the storm. Sometimes he comes walking on the water in the midst of the storm and says, peace, be still. Why didn't the Lord come through for me? Why am I still suffering? When the Lord saw the weeping, the Bible says, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And listen to what he says in verse 34. Where have you laid him? And then one of my best verses, verse 35, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. But that's a powerful statement. Jesus wept. Now here's the thing. They had all the mourners at the house. And when Jesus sends for Mary, now notice, he don't go to the house where all the grievers and the mourners are. He sent for Mary to come to him. When the mourners saw that Mary was going, they said, she's going down to the grave. So they go with her. And Lord, if you'd just been here. See, some of you think it's over. I've come by to tell you it's not over till God pronounces that it's over. My brother would not have died. And the Bible said he was so moved with compassion that he wept. Why did he weep? Because the one he loved had died. And he saw the grief. He saw the pain. He saw the pain in their eyes. He saw the questions in their heart. And he wept. But this is not the end of the story. See, we can weep with people. But only God can deliver people. We can sympathize with people. We can feel sorry for people. We can try to help people. But I've come to tell you, there's some circumstances, unless God intervenes in that circumstance, there's no deliverance. Where have you laid him? Listen to what they're saying. And Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? I believe this was the topic of the conversation over at the house of weeping. Where was God? Where was God? If he'd have been here, he would have kept my brother from dying. But Jesus wants them to see he not only has power over sickness, he has power over death. Where have you laid him? Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. <laughs> see, they buried him in a cave and they sealed up the stone. Here's what happened in ancient Israel. They didn't embalm. And in many cases, Jewish bodies are not embalmed today because they believe it should go back to the dust. It should de decompose. He was probably wrapped in grave clothes, the Bible said. But they would let that body deteriorate. And then they would go and collect the bones. And they would put the bones in a little ossuary. And that's what would have later been in that grave. So the, by having this grave, the whole family, it would have been a family plot. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. But notice, Martha even warns him. Now, Lord, by this time he smells. Martha's saying, Jesus, you're four days late. You want us to roll the stone away? He's been dead for four days. The smell of death, I'm telling you, there's no smell like the smell of death. There's no smell like the smell of a decomposing body. There's a stench. There's an odor. The decaying process is already set in in this dry, arid heat. And you want us to roll the stone away. If you'd have been here. See, we got to stop living in yesterday and know that he's an ever-present help. In the time of trouble. Now listen to me. You'll beat yourself up in circumstances. If I'd have done this differently. If I had my time to go over again. If I'd have made this decision instead of this decision. The truth is you can't go back and change the past. But God can redeem the past. 
Hallelujah. Roll the stone away. He's four days late. Roll the stone away. Here's what he did. He prayed. He talked to the Father. And here's what he said. I'm doing this for their benefit. He's showing us something. He's showing us when it looks like it's over, when the grave has been sealed, when the mourners are bringing flowers to the grave and they're talking about what could have been and what should have been and if we would have done this and if God would have been on the scene, it would be different. He's trying to show us that it's not too late to call on the name of the Lord. And he groaned within himself. And then he does this. He cries with a loud voice. Somebody said, I don't believe we ought to ever cry out with a loud voice in church. Well, Jesus cried with a loud voice in a graveyard. Come on, somebody. Down in the family cemetery. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, why did he call his name? I am the resurrection and the life. Had he not called his name, not only Lazarus, but Lazarus' daddy, his granddaddy, his great-granddaddy, and his great-granddaddy would have come out of that grave. Because one word from the one who has the power of life and death can raise up a whole cemetery. You say, I don't believe that. Well, there's coming a day when there's a shout from heaven and the voice of the archangel and there's going to be a cry that comes out of heaven, a shout that says, Believer, come forth! And the graves are going to give up the dead. Hey! Number one, he called him by name so as he would not resurrect the whole cemetery. Number two, the Bible said, my sheep know my voice in John 10. Lazarus knew the voice. Here's the key. When it looks like everything around you has gone the wrong direction and you've waited and you've believed and you've stood and you've believed God and everything you looks like is dead and the tomb is sealed and it's all over with. What do you do? My sheep hear my voice. And just about the time that you think it's over, you think he was four days late, God comes on the scene and you find out he was right on time and he did it that way because he wanted to work a miracle in your life. And God will remove the grave clothes from our lives. What is it that binds you? Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Loose him and let him go.